does God have anything to say to us about making plans and how to do that well? At the same time, we finish up our Advent series. Next week, God willing, we hope to start a series on 1 Corinthians to start out the new year. So we've got this one week that we can devote to God's wisdom in making plans. So that's what we're going to do today. Uh, The Proverbs really function like a mine full of gems. There's a ruby here and an emerald here and a diamond here and a piece of gold here. And sometimes it's great to just pick them all one at a time and read through a whole chapter. And at another time, it's good to go and gather the ones that are all similar, maybe gather all all the rubies together and have them all together. And that's what we're doing today. All the Proverbs have to teach about making plans and keeping those plans. I've gathered here together today and we're going to look through them. And as we do that, you might find a couple of effects in your own heart. I hope what it will do is show you how good Jesus' ways are and how good his wisdom is. It is hard to believe sometimes that he wants good things for us in this life And that his ways are good and that following his ways tends to bring good things. Yes, he has trials planned for us. Yes, our sufferings make us stronger. But his ways are good. And I hope you taste some of that this morning. I can remember being a young boy. I was about 10 years old when I started reading the Bible by myself. My parents got me this really cool 80s looking youth Bible, it was called. And I would sit alone in my closet and read that thing where nobody could bother me and my sister couldn't bother me. And I would always get stuck in the Proverbs because I wasn't a great reader and I couldn't pay attention for a whole story or a whole letter. But man, you get to those Proverbs and they're like little two-line M&Ms, man. You just read two lines and you get something right there, right? And boom. And then there's another one right there. Just take you another M&M right after that. And you could get something that you could apply to your life just so quick like that. And then another one after that and another one after that. And that's a lot of what the Lord used to draw me into his word and show me how good his word is. Maybe he'll do that for you this morning and show you how good his word is. On the other hand, it also has sort of an inverse effect because so much of what the Proverbs teach us makes sense enough. They're kind of obvious, really. But then you measure your own life up to them and you start asking, well, why am I not doing this, right? If this is so obvious, why have I not been doing this the whole time? Uh, That's one of the things the wisdom books do for us. They show us what fools we are and how we haven't been doing life right. The law has a similar role. Paul says that I would not know what coveting is and how covetous I am if the law had not said, do not covet, right? But he gives us a standard and then we realize how short we fall of it. Some of that's going to happen here. It happened to me this week as we're going to get to one of these points of uh, seeking counsel while you plan ahead, right? And here I was sitting in my study preparing this, realizing I have New Year's resolutions I have not even talked to my wife about, right? This is sensible enough, but why am I not doing this, right? Well, it has that effect on us. It shows us what fools we are. Why does it do that? Well, what the Lord wants to do in his word is show you how much you need Jesus Christ, right? Why, why do we need him to secure forgiveness for our sins, to show us the way and guide us with a light of righteousness? Because we were born sinners and we were born fools. And you might just feel that this morning as we walk through God's wisdom. If you do, 
I want to point you to the greatest work Jesus Christ did within a scope of a few days, dying on a cross to pay for our sins and rising from the dead to grant to his people eternal life. If you sense this morning the weight of your own foolishness, my call to you is come to this Jesus and cast yourself upon the wise one who has died to pay for sins, risen from the dead to offer eternal life. If you would come to him in faith, trusting him to do these things for you, he is all yours with forgiveness and salvation with him. So may the Lord call you to Jesus Christ and make of us a wise people this morning. We're going to look at five gems from the Proverbs about planning And as we do, we'll apply each of them to four scenarios, just kind of made up three, and then one that is real to our church. Maybe one of you is looking for a new job, right, and you're making plans. What would it say to that? Maybe others of you are planning for retirement or are now in your retirement years, and you got plans for what to do in your retirement. How do you plan well for that? Uh, Surely some of you have New Year's resolutions. How do we make those plans well and wisely? And then lastly, what do these Proverbs have to say to our church as we have plans for the new year together? We'll apply each of these five gems to all four of those. Well, here we go. Let's dive in. Five gems about planning in the Proverbs. The first one is obvious enough, right? The first gem about planning ahead is plan ahead, right? It's good, good to do. We'll start at the very beginning, right? Good to do. Good thing to plan ahead. Now, that can seem obvious enough, but when you walk the course of life and you, let's say you get to college and it's presentation day and you have prepared a really meticulous presentation to give and the guy before you gets up there and just wings it and he crushes it and then you get up there with your really planned speech and it's not as good it can start to feel like, well, I mean, he did better than me, and he didn't plan at all, and he was more natural, and he cracked jokes along the way. Maybe it's better to not plan. I don't know. Uh, when you plan out a trip you're going to take to every careful detail, and then everything blows up on the trip, and it doesn't go well, and then your friends that you talk to say, yeah, we just decided at the last minute we're going to go, and everything works out perfectly for them. It can start to feel a little muddy. Like, is, is it good to plan it? Maybe it's better to just wing it. People who wing it seem to get by. Okay. And one thing the Lord does through Proverbs is bring us back to reality, put our feet on the ground, and show us how it most often goes. You have Proverbs 21.5 in your handout to guide you there. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. That's how it tends to go. That's the generalization. Generally, if you plan carefully, it's going to lead to better things than if you're hasty in your decisions. One way you might sum that up is that careful planning tends to lead to wealth, and impulsiveness tends to lead to poverty. If you make big decisions on a whim because you just felt like it, that's a path toward ruin and toward poverty. If you plan your steps out more carefully, that's a path toward wealth. And so we see there that careful planning marks the wise and mark those who fear God and live according to his ways. And impulsiveness marks the foolish. And so you got to ask, okay, which one marks me, right? Sometimes these things point out how foolish we can be. Which ones mark me? Now, lest you think that's just one little flash in the Proverbs, that teaching that careful planning pays off is there throughout the scriptures. 
Uh, Jesus appeals to it in the book of Luke. He's teaching something else, but he appeals to that principle as his ground. He says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and he's not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, That man began to build and he was not able to finish, right? You're going to do something big like build a tower. Yeah, there's steps you got to go along the way. You better sit down. Better make sure you got enough money. Better make sure the supplies are gathered and you've got a good builder and a good contractor and good help. And then maybe you can start building the thing. Careful planning beforehand pays off. Uh, yet if you do something big like that impulsively, you might wind up unable to finish and everybody pointing the finger at you and mocking you. The Proverbs have another one that's tougher to interpret that I'll read for you also. Proverbs twenty four twenty seven says... Prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. Uh, That's harder to connect with because we don't live in a farming-based society like them. Uh, But if you're back in those days and you have found the place you want to build your house, the last thing you want to do is build half a house, have no food out in the field, all the sheep and cattle have run off because you haven't taken care of them, and now you've got half a house and nothing to eat, right? So first thing to do is build a little pen for the sheep so they stay in there, and then get the cattle all ready with a fence or whatever you need so the cattle stay there, and now you've got good meat. Uh, you start planting your crops, and now you know the crops grow well in the soil, so now you have good food. Then you start chopping down logs and gathering stones and getting everything ready in the field. Okay, I can provide for myself on this land. I have all the supplies. I need for the house gathered, now you can build your house, right? And there's an order to how you got to do it. You got to plan ahead. In the modern world, we would say maybe a little differently, get a good job, save up some money, and then buy a house, right? Because you don't want to get underwater on a house that you can't afford. Planning ahead is going to pay off. Doing something like buying a half million dollar house impulsively is not going to pay off. Now, planning ahead is better. So what's that mean for someone who's looking for a new job, right? Uh, Well, you don't want to, if you can help it, just quit your job on a whim, walk out the door in a fume of anger, and have no plan for where you're going to go next, right? Far better to plan out, make the networking calls, send the resume out, do some interviews, get it all set up behind the scenes, and then, if you can manage to do it, Then quit the current job and go on to the new job, right? Better planning is going to pay off for something like that. What about those of you thinking about retirement? How would it it affect that? Well, it's just not wise. Some of us are going to say, I'm just kind of hoping I'm dead by then, right? I have no plans for what to do in those years. Uh, That's how we wind up unable to provide for ourselves in those years. Better to plan ahead, better to look ahead and have a financial plan for for something like that. There will probably come years, if the Lord gives you the years, where you're not able to work and need to provide for yourself. If you get real ahead of the game, you may have some years left when you can have fun with that kind of stuff or do great things for the Lord if you plan ahead. What does a principle like this, that careful planning pays off, mean for those of you with New Year's resolutions? Well, first of all, it means you're not crazy to have a New Year's resolution. Good to have a plan for the year, right? But Do you have an actual plan or do you just have a whim that you want to do, right? Are you thinking to yourself, I'm going to get in shape this year, right? I can't wait. And that's it. 
Or do you know what gym you're going to join? How are you going to change your diet? How that's going to work? What days are you going to go to that gym in the week? Have you figured it out in your schedule? What clothes are you going to bring with you? Where are you going to shower afterward? Have you planned the whole thing out? Do you know how you're going to accomplish this? Or do you just kind of have a whim that I'm going to do a thing in the new year? That's one of the big reasons that our New Year's resolutions don't often pan out past January 15th. We didn't have a good plan for how to accomplish it. A principle like this matters for us as a church, too. Uh, we've got a year coming up that it's hard to predict what it's going to be like, right? We, we have not planned financially for a budget year where we weren't in deep debt for 20 years now, right? Some, a lot of you weren't even here then, and we don't even know what it's like to plan for that as a church. But that can't be a reason to not have plans, even though we don't quite know what it's going to look like. Your finance committee's been working behind the scenes. I've been thinking behind the scenes. We've got plans because careful planning pays off. So there's the first, Jim. Do plan ahead. Plan ahead carefully. Now, some of you loved that one because you're planners by nature, right? And if that's you, I want to see how well you do with the second one because it's almost the inverse of the first one. Second, Jim, is hold on to your plans loosely. We see this one given to us in a, several Proverbs that say a similar thing, but I just have one gathered for you. Proverbs sixteen nine: The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Right? There's four, or five, six Proverbs that say almost a very similar thing, right? We make our plans, but the answer comes from the Lord. And so the application of that is Proverbs 27.1. Don't boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what a day might bring. The doctrine behind that is that everything in the universe goes according to plan. Just not your plan, right? Everything in the universe goes according to God's plan. And so you may have your plans for the coming year. But the Lord also has his plans, and it is his plans that are going to be accomplished. So when you make yours, what you have to do is hold on to them loosely and stay flexible. Now, that sounds like bad news, but it's actually really good news. Uh, One of the best things, maybe the best thing about following Jesus is that it allows him to be God. And so you don't have to be God anymore. Now it's okay because we follow him and his plans are good for us and we are safely in his hands. He can be the one who everything has to go according to his plan. And when your plan totally falls apart, well, you can look up and say, well, everything is going according to the plan of the one who loves me and works all things together to good for, for me and for those who love him and for us. And so what trust that can develop in you and how that can free you of anxiety if you're the kind of person who needs it all to go according to plan. Well, take heart. It is still going according to plan, just a better plan than you ever had. So several places in the scriptures teach a very similar thing, right? That humility and planning marks the wise, but boasting about tomorrow marks the foolish. Uh, Jeremiah, the prophet, says, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, and that it's not in man who walks to direct his steps, right? We're not the one that guards our path. We make our plans, but we don't guard, we don't guard our path. 
Psalm 127 says it really practically. Unless the Lord builds the house, the workmen labor in vain. And unless the Lord keeps this city, the watchmen stay awake in vain, right? You've got a role, right? We're building the house. We're watching over the city. But unless the Lord does those things, it doesn't go according to our plan. James is more direct with it. He says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So, not only may it go according to a different plan, it's not just that your plans might not come true for whatever you have planned, but our bodies are so fragile, our lives are so fragile, we may not even be there to see what really happens. And so far better to say, if the Lord wills, I'll live to this point. And if the Lord gives me the breath to go to this point, then if the Lord wills, we will do this thing that we have planned. That's a way to plan depending on the Lord. And that means we've got to hold on to our plans really loosely. All right, let's bring that down to earth. Let's go back to the person looking for a new job. What's that mean if we've got to hold plans loosely and you're looking for a new job? Uh, Well, it means that whatever plan you've got lined up, it's good that you got the plan lined up, but you got to be ready for some bumps in the road, right? Practically, that probably means don't burn your bridges at your current job, right? You've got a new thing lined up. You're going to go there. It's looking great. You might get there at that new job and on day three realize that your boss is just terrible and you may need to go back to that old job, right? So did you burn the bridge on the way out, storming in anger and watching the building explode while you walked away in slow motion? Or is the bridge still there and do you have warm relationships there and can you go back to that other job? It may be that your new company will get sold to another person and get restructured and you'll be laid off six months in. We don't know what's going to happen. So keep all those relationships warm and don't burn your bridges on the way out. What's it mean for those of us doing New Year's resolutions, right? Well, it means that your plans might fall through for multiple reasons. A lot of us, we don't keep our New Year's resolutions because we don't have the fortitude and self-control that we thought we had. But that's not the only reason that it might not work. Your plans may not happen. Your resolution may fall through simply because you don't run the world and things might go really differently. You may plan to join a gym and do this and get in shape, and you may get so sick on January 15th that you won't be able to follow through on your plans. That's not because you lack self-control. That's just because you don't run the world and things might not go according to your plan. So even those resolutions, you got to hold on to loosely and say, God, with your help, I will do this. Will you give me the stamina of the life and the health to do this? Same thing for those of you preparing for retirement or in retirement. Uh, If you're there, you've had plenty of time to prepare and plan, and you probably got some ambitions of things you want to do. Uh, And you have to remember that you don't know what tomorrow will hold. So you can look forward to those things, but do you have backup plans? What will you do if this happens? What will you do if you have a health scare? What will you do if the stock market tanks? we got to have plans for backups when things fall through. And it means something for our church, too, if we've got to hold plans loosely. I think it's fair to say we're pretty hopeful about the next year. 
right? Financial freedom of being out of debt, so much we could do. We hope for better days in the future for our church. But we don't know what the Lord's going to do, right? We can't count on the things that we hope for. So we got our plans, but we're going to hold on to them loosely. We learned that in 2020 as a church, didn't we? Right? We had a great first year together. We rounded the corner into 2020. We had some great plans for 2020. And by March, we were closed down completely. Right? We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Oh, we've got good hopes for it, but we leave it in the Lord's hands because he's the one who will plan it just right for us. So there are the first two gems. They kind of guard us from falling off of one or falling off of the other. One of, one of us in our folly is going to want to be hasty and not plan and we'll veer off the path that way. The other of us will be an over-planner and we'll need everything to go just according to the plan. And those two kind of help guardrail us and keep us in the middle. Yeah, make your plans, but hold on to them loosely. All right, let's move on to number three. The third gem is make your plans Honestly. We've got a few Proverbs about this. I'll read them all here at once. Proverbs 6 says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. This fourth one is the one we emphasize right now. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. So, In that list of things that especially anger the Lord, it's those who would not only do evil, but would conspire and plan ahead of time to do it. There is the one who falls impulsively into a sin, and they will answer to God for it. Their sin angers the Lord. But then there is the one who plots and plans ahead of time on how they're going to pull the thing off, and then commits their sin. And they've doubled their transgression by not only sinning, but planning ahead of time to do it. And so the one who devises wicked plans are on that list of things the Lord is especially angered by. He says things like this again in Proverbs twelve twenty: Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. And then in fourteen twenty two, do they not go astray who devise evil, but those who divide good Meet steadfast love and faithfulness. So we're seeing there a difference between those who are planning to do wrong things and plotting about it and those who are planning to do good works for the Lord. And the basic rub of it is if you plot against the Lord, he will plot against you. And you don't want to get into a chess match with the Lord Most High, right? He will work against you if you work against him. Uh, The scripture says this in some other places too. Uh, The Psalms say it as well. Psalm 7 says, Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. So this is a person who has hatched a plan over a long time, the way that a child grows for months in a woman's womb for many months. He's planning out this lie-filled, mischievous plan. And then it switches analogies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and then he falls into the hole that he has made. This mischief returns on his own head and on his own skull, violence descends. So the image there is he digs a pit for somebody to fall into, and the Lord knows irony, and so he falls into his own pit, right? 
we see pictures like that in many places. Uh, another proverb says, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he's held fast on the cords of his own sin. And Proverbs 26, 27 says, whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. So you dig that pit for somebody to fall into, you set a trap for somebody, you plot out your scheme, and in the Lord's hand, it's likely to be you that winds up falling into it. You, you set the stone rolling to crush your neighbor's house and your neighbor along with it, and it's likely that that stone's going to come back and crush you. There is an irony to the way that the Lord runs the universe. This is why the Hindi people believe in karma. Uh, they're not quite right with it, but they aren't inventing that principle out of thin air. Prince, the karma is what the Hindu people teach, uh, that what goes around essentially comes around. The universe just kind of works like that. And they believe that because you see that in the universe a lot. Uh, what they're missing, though, is that there is a just God who is over it all. It's not that the world just happens to work that way. It's that the Lord is on his throne, and if you plot against him, he will plot against you. Let me give you a couple of illustrations of this playing out, one in the Bible and one in the modern world. If you plot against the Lord, he will plot against you. Uh, the story of the Tower of Babel is just fascinating, one of my favorite stories. Uh, all the nations of the world, if you can imagine it, were gathered together. And the Lord had told them to disperse out and cover the earth. Well, they hadn't done that yet. They're all gathered together. They all speak one language. And when you get a lot of people together and they're driven to do something, they can do some incredible things. So they say, come, let us build a city. And they build a city together. And then they say, come, let us uh, make bricks and build a tower up to heaven, lest we be dispersed over the whole earth. They do this in rebellion against God, who had told them to disperse themselves over the whole earth. And they use some interesting words, come let us, they say twice. And they say uh, a city, they want to build a city, and they don't want to be dispersed. And then the Lord speaks from heaven, and he uses the same words against them. He says, come let us go down and confuse their language. And so they left off building the city, and they were dispersed over the whole earth. So the Lord says his plans against them, he uses the same words that they used to plot against him. If you plot against the Lord, he will plot and return against you. And there is an irony to how he does it. Uh, I'll give you another example in the modern world. Uh, these phones we have are incredible what they can do. And there are people doing things that we don't think about with our phones. Uh, there are, for instance, really secure messaging apps uh, that people can use like spies in Russia can use to send back to their people. And uh, no one knows because they're so well encrypted. No, it's right on your phone and you're typing it and somebody over in Russia can read it. And no one knows that this is going on because it's so well encrypted. Uh, so you might imagine then that people with ill intent are quick to grab up these encrypted messaging apps so that they can plot together in privacy their, their drug deals and their money laundering and their smuggling routes and their murders that they want to commit. Uh, one of these apps was really popular for a while. It was called Anon, A-N-O-N. 
uh, became very popular among drug lords and other kind of people like that. And there are people just sitting on the subways plotting their next murder back and forth with somebody that they're plotting with uh, and then going to carry it out, plotting their next drug smuggling route, plotting uh, a sale for drugs that they were going to do, plotting all sorts of wickedness against the Lord. Uh, but what they didn't know was that the app was run by the FBI. And so the FBI, in coordination with a similar organization in Australia and a couple others in Europe, within 48 hours, they gathered millions of messages between these kinds of people, figured out where they all were because the app was tracking their location as well, and in 48 hours arrested hundreds of the most notorious criminals on earth. Uh, newspapers called it a huge blow to organized crime. And it was the very app that they were using to plot their mischief and their evil that did them in. If you plot against the Lord, he will plot against you. And there will be an irony to how it comes back upon your head. So let us be warned then as we make plans for the new year. Some of us might be tempted towards small dishonesties, right? Exaggerating on your resume or something like that. Uh, perhaps there are a few in the room who are sharing secret messages that they shouldn't be sharing with someone. And let the Lord convict you now to turn back, come to him, come to his right ways, feel the sorrow and shame over your sin and come back to him. So how should we plan then? We don't want to plan with evil intent. Uh, the best way we can check our plans, best way you can check your plans for the new year, is to just evaluate them against the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So that plan to switch jobs to a new job, uh, is it because you want a new sense of fulfillment? Or is it because you would enjoy this job more? And is everyone else in your life going to have to kind of suffer so that you can enjoy a job more? Or is it because in this new job, you've got a better opportunity to love others with your work and serve the community with your work, or it provides better for the people who depend on you? Uh, what is the motivation for switching from one job to another? Is it for you? Or is it for love for others and honoring the Lord? It is possible to move to a job that makes less money out of love for God and love for others because this other job gives you more opportunity to serve others with your work. It's also possible to move to a job that makes less money selfishly and provide for the people that depend on you less and everyone else kind of has to suffer a little bit so that you can enjoy this other job more. Which one's motivating you? Love for God and others or your own desires? You can put your retirement plans to the same test. Uh, are, you, are you excited about retiring because you can finally do all the other stuff that you want to do? Is it all about you? Or are you thinking, man, I'll finally be free to see my grandkids more and pour into them more. I'll finally be free. Some of you are eager to retire, I know, because you can't wait to serve the church more. I hear you saying this kind of stuff, and it's so exciting to see you love others and love the Lord. What do you want to do with all that free time that's coming up? Do you want to love God and love others, or is it just get me more and more fun? You could go either way, and that's a good way to check it. Same thing for the New Year's resolutions. Are you, are you wanting to take up painting for your own enjoyment, and maybe there's room in your life to do that, and it wouldn't cost anybody anything. 
Or is your motive love for God and love for others? It's not bad to do something for yourself if you want to, but you do have to guard against putting your own desires above other people and other people having to sacrifice for you in that way. So make the plans honestly. Love the Lord your God and your plans and love others. Let's move to number four. Fourth gem is to seek good advice while you plan. The general teaching there in the Proverbs is that lots of good counsel leads to success. And not seeking counsel doesn't lead to success. Several Proverbs about it. I only put two of them in here. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there's safety. And then fifteen twenty two, Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. And several other Proverbs go on to say the same thing. So, you see the basic idea, right? You get advice from a lot of wise people about your plans, more likely to succeed. Go at it on your own, less likely to succeed. We see this play out in the New Testament in a really beautiful way. In Acts 15 and 16, uh, really exciting days for the church. The gospel had spread beyond the borders of Israel. And all these people who never knew the true Lord God through Judaism were coming to Jesus Christ uh, all over the world because the gospel is spreading. And it created this kind of difficult question like, okay, wait a minute. We were raised as Jews under God's law. Uh, We were all, you know, ceremonial stuff and circumcised at birth and all that stuff. Now all these other people are coming in to the church. Do they have to follow this law too? Like, do you have to come through Judaism to be a Christian? Do they need to be circumcised? Like, how do, how do we handle this? And the church had to figure out what to tell all these new converts. Well, the way the church worked that way, uh, they had apostles. We have the whole of the scriptures written. They didn't have the New Testament written. And so that guard that you would go to, the standard you measure everything, was what the apostles were teaching. So any of the one apostles, many of them, any one of them could have stood up and said, here's what the Lord says, right? Given an authoritative answer to everybody. But that's not what they did. Uh, They all gathered together in Jerusalem, and then they gathered all of the pastors in the Jerusalem church, that established church, had a lot of pastors already. They pulled some pastors from other churches, and they had perhaps all of the apostles and pastors in the early church together for the only time. And they had what we call today the Jerusalem Council, and they sat down and talked about it, and giving their counsel to each other, they worked it out together. Finally, one of them stands up, gives a wonderfully eloquent speech, and everyone says, oh, that's what we should do, and they find an answer. Now, interestingly there, those apostles did not have to form that council and do that. They were apostles, right? Any one of them could have said, by the Spirit of the Lord in me, here's the answer, right? But they saw that there is wisdom in gathering many counselors together to make a decision, even when you've got the authority to make it on your own. Uh, If you lead a home or a business or a church or a team at work, there's wisdom there, right? You may have the authority vested in you to just make the call on your own. Sometimes you got to do that because it's quick calls that you got to make. But if you can gather people together and get counsel, you're going to come to a better decision. An abundance of counselors, plans tend to succeed. So, What's that mean for somebody who's changing jobs, right? 
Well, it means that you want to call up that whole network and ask for everybody's advice, right? You go into a new company, well, who do you know who's worked for that company or worked with that company before? What, what advice can you get from them? Uh, if your dad is still walking the earth and he's wise like my dad is still walking the earth and is wise, I'd call him, ask him about it. Who do you know who's wise enough to give you counsel? Have you talked to your spouse about it? Have you talked to your close friends about it? They will catch things that you will forget before you make a decision like that. Those of you planning ahead for retirement, do you have people who are experts, financial advisors, those kind of people to help you do that and save for it well? Or are you just kind of putting it in whatever account you think is going to work and is going to make sense? If you got New Year's resolutions, have you talked to your spouse or to your friends about them? I told you already, I had to go over to Emily this week because I realized I hadn't told her about my plans even as I was preparing for this. Have you told people about yours? Have you asked for their advice before you dive into something like that? And what this means for us as a church is this is one of the principles that is undergirding one of the biggest changes we hope to make in the coming year, and that is to, we are rewriting our constitution, and we want to rewrite it in such a way that multiple people can serve in the role of pastor with an equal voting authority. Uh, not because I don't have any confidence to lead a group, but because when you have a council of people making decisions together, plans tend to succeed. That's a wiser way to do it. And so that principle even undergirds some of our plans for the coming year. Okay, last one. Last gem is to dedicate your plans to the Lord. We see this written in Proverbs 16. And it's sort of a math equation, so I'm going to have to take you through the logic of one and two before we get to three. Uh, Number one says something we already talked about. The plans of the heart belong to a man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord, right? So as we talked about earlier, you're going to make your plans, but what actually happens is up to the Lord and not to you. Okay, hold that. We'll go to number two. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit, right? Whatever your plans are, you probably think you're doing the right thing, right? Most of us, we we think of ourselves as, yeah, this is why I'm doing it, because I think this is the right thing to do, right? But the Lord sees and knows whether your motives are actually pure and whether you're really doing the right thing. How can you tell? Well, you can try, but can never quite be sure that your motives are right, right? So the plan may not go according to your plan because God is God. You can't fully see whether your motives are right because God is God and you're not. And so what do you do? You do verse 3. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. So because you're not God, it's not going to go your way. Because you're not God, you can't see your own motives and know if you're doing things right. You simply have to give the Lord your plans. Say, God, here's what I want to do. Would you bless this in your love for us? And then you go do it. That word for committing your plans uh, essentially means to, to roll it over to somebody. Uh, it's the same word used in that story where Jacob rolls the stone in the well. And the idea is that once that stone is rolled over there, ain't, ain't nobody going to be able to pick that up and move it. You roll it over there and it's there, right? So it is to hand your plans off to the Lord and say, all right, I made my plans. I'm going to do my best. God, it's in your hands now. The general wisdom is when you're willing to do that, to hand your plans over to the Lord, that's the secret to your plans working out. 
Isn't that funny? Giving it up is the secret oftentimes to obtaining it. Holding it with a loose hand is often the secret to keeping it. As Jesus says, whoever wants to seek his life will lose it, and whoever gains his life will, will, will lose it. Whoever forfeits his life for my sake will find it. You hand that plan over to the Lord, and it's likely to go better for you. We've got some examples of people doing this in the scriptures. Nehemiah resolves at one point that he wants to go and help rebuild Jerusalem's wall. It's a good plan. He thinks his motives are pure, but he knows that the king might not let him go. Hey, maybe his motives are wrong. Maybe it's not the Lord's time. I don't know. So he says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. So he rolls the plan over to God, right? God, would you give me success? And then he waits for the right time, and he asks the king, can I go back? And the king says, yes, you can. Under my authority, you can go, and you can bring all these supplies with you. He hands that plan over to the Lord, and it succeeds because of that. Psalm 37 says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. So what's the wisdom here, right? Just give your plans over to God. And then it still may not go according to your plan, but whatever happens, it's going to be for your good. Because he blesses those who love him and trust in him. So commit your plans over to the Lord. What's that mean for somebody changing jobs? Well, it means that you're going to get everything lined up. You got the resumes going out. Everything's going to happen. You've done all the interviews. And now the moment comes where you're going to either accept that job or not accept that new job. And there's a great time to say, you know what? I'm going to wait six hours I'm going to fast. My wife and I are going to get together and fast and pray to the Lord. Lord, would you bless this? We commit this new plan to you. And then at six o'clock tonight, I'm going to call. I'm going to accept the job. And then my wife and I have a feast together, right? Take time to dedicate it to the Lord before you do it. Uh, You got plans for the New Year's. Well, you probably got a good plan for dinner tonight. But even this afternoon, you could fast and pray to the Lord. Lord, I give this plan to you. Would you help me by your power to do these things that I intend to do? It means for us as a church, we've got our plans. We've got our things that we want to do. But how we have to commit them to the Lord and just cover them in prayer together. So there we have five gems, right? Good to plan ahead. Got to hold on to those plans loosely. Make them honestly when you plan, get good advice, and then dedicate those plans to God. There's the path forward that Jesus gives us. Now, does that show you how good his ways are? Man, it just makes so much sense when you read those Proverbs. I love them like that. Does that convict you as it does me? Man, that was all kind of obvious, and yet I kind of don't do that also. Like, why are we like this, right? Well, I hope that shows you on one hand how good he is and how much you need him. And so I call you, don't just come to good wisdom. Wisdom is actually a person, a person named Jesus. So receive his wisdom, but receive it in faith, trusting in him, and come to Jesus Christ, placing your trust in him. Let's pray together.